Good evening. Welcome. It's so nice to see you all here. We're in a full house on a rainy night, and you all are here, so thank you so much. We want to welcome you to our Catholic Evangelization Outreach Series. And my name is Lisa Bellafato, and I'm a parishioner here at St. Margaret Mary. I'm very excited to be here with you tonight. So we heard today uh, in today's gospel that John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him and immediately recognized him for who he is. John the Baptist cried out, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Do we see Jesus in our own lives and in others around us? Do we immediately recognize him? Setting aside time in our lives for God and hearing others' faith journeys are good ways to help strengthen our relationship with God and to see how willing his son is to walk with us on our journeys. And now it is my sincere pleasure to introduce tonight's speaker, Archbishop Joseph Kurtz. Archbishop Kurtz was born in Pennsylvania and earned his bachelor degree and master degree, master's of divinity degrees in Philadelphia and a master's degree in social work in Scranton. On March 18, 1972, Archbishop Kurtz was ordained a priest for the, for the Diocese of Allentown and served there for 27 years before becoming the Bishop of Knoxville. He served in that role from 1999 to 2007. His Holiness Benedict XVI appointed Most Reverend Joseph Kurtz as the fourth Archbishop and the ninth Bishop of the Archdiocese of Louisville on June 12, 2007. He was installed as Archbishop of Louisville on August 15, 2007. Archbishop Kurtz has served on numerous boards. He served as Vice President of the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops from 2010 to 2013, and as the President from 2013 to 2016, and in those capacities also served as a member of the conference's executive and administrative committees. Archbishop Kurtz is currently on the Board of Trustees of the Catholic University of America, the Board of Directors of the National Catholics Bioethics Center, and on the Bishop's Committee for Teens Encounter Christ. He also serves as a member of the Council for National Catholic School of Social Service at Catholic University and on the advisory board to the cause for Archbishop Fulton Sheen's beatification. In February of 2014, Pope Francis appointed Archbishop Kurtz to the Holy See Congregation for Oriental Churches. Whew. <laughs> All that, and he's still able to be here with us tonight. Yeah. So we are so blessed and very grateful that Archbishop Kurtz was able to take some time out of his schedule to be with us tonight. So please join me in a very warm welcome for Archbishop Kurtz. Thank you. Lisa, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Well, listen, it's a joy to be with all of you. You, you know, uh, with Fulton Sheen, you know Archbishop Sheen, some of you remember him, that when he was giving a talk one time, people clapped before he started, and he said, well, applause before I begin is an act of faith. 
And he said, applause halfway through my talk is an act of hope. <laughs> and applause at the end of the talk is an act of charity. So, so I, I love that. So uh, Father Bill called me a little while ago and he said, uh, Archbishop, we have uh, CEO, it's a great, great event, and people want you to, to come. And I said, well, gee, I'd be happy to come, but, but tell me, you know, why did you uh, invite me to come? And he said, well, uh, let me be honest with you. He said, we consider you to be a very warm speaker. I said, oh, wow, thank you. So we, we hung up the phone, and I, I got out my dictionary. <laughs> and it said, warm, not so hot. So I called Father Bill back. I said, Father Bill, first of all, I want to let you know that I'm still coming, but I also want to let you know that I have a dictionary. <laughs> and he said, no, oh, no, no, no. He said, honestly, he said, we consider you to be a model preacher. Oh, I said, well, thank you very much. So I hung up the phone and I got out my dictionary. <laughs> and, and, and there it was. It said, a, a model a small imitation of the real thing. <laughs> you know, I was told I could, I could take this in, in pretty much whatever direction I wanted to talk about my life and my vocation and my closeness to Jesus, uh, as long as I did it within a half an hour. And so, Father Bill was good enough to say that he's going to start to wave frantically when I have 10 minutes left. So you'll know he's not uh, doing anything but, but giving good signals. Um, had I given this talk 10 years ago, it would have been a little different. But you know, as I was preparing it, I just turned age 70. Uh, and I find myself thinking more about my family. I'm finding more and more as I look back, and I'm wondering if this might be something that you might think about yourselves, of the uh, tremendous influence, I didn't know it at the time, but the tremendous influence that my family had in helping to shape what I think was God's call to me. I could go through all the scripture, and you know it as well as I do, where the prophets began to realize later in their life uh, Isaiah said something like uh, you called me from my mother's womb well that was a reflection later on obviously now uh, Jeremiah said Lord I am too young and you heard what St. John Paul II said in his, his biography it was the 50th anniversary of his being a priest I guess it was 19. 97, that he wrote A Gift and Mystery. It's a beautiful book. It's about his life, worth your reading. And at one point, he became a bishop when he was 37 years old. And he, he said to the Cardinal of Krakow, I think it was at the time, he said, he complained, he said, I am too young. And the Cardinal said, that's a defect that will soon be corrected. <laughs> so I, I think back uh, to, to my uh, youth, and growing up, and I, I think of some of the things that I have carried with me. So for instance, uh, I got out two books 
that I had in grade school. This was one of my favorites. It, I'm not sure it had anything to do with vocations, but I saw it and I wanted to show it to you. It was called Mr. Wizard's Science Secrets. Any of you ever remember Mr. Wizard? Do any of you remember that at all? Yeah, yeah. I still watch it on TV. And, um, but the other book that I picked up, there's an inscription in it. <clears throat> Merry Christmas, 1958. So 1958, I was in seventh grade. From Rose and Charlie. Rose was my oldest sister. Rose, uh, my mother used to say there were five of us. My older brother George, many of you know, had Down syndrome. You know, I've talked about him. But older than him and older than me were our three older sisters. And they were, they're all older than we were, and my sister Rose was the oldest, and my mom used to say she was the best. And you know what? My mom was so sincere, I believe that. And she, in, in many, many ways, she was, I think, the best. You know that commercial where, um, where the guy is saying to the teenager, and, and by the way, you're, you're your father, your parents' favorite child? And the other one said, uh, oh, I thought I was. And I forget how he answered that. Some of you might remember it. Well, apparently not, I think is what he said. Well, my sister Rose uh, had, she, she, by the way, she died at the age of 60 with a breast cancer. Every one of our lives has uh, a mixture of sacrifices and tragedies and joys, doesn't it? Well, she gave me this book. It's called St. Dominic and the Rosary. So I was in seventh grade. It was Christmas time, and I began to read it, and I still have, I pasted in here at some point, something that came from the front cover, and it talked about St. Dominic, the athlete of Christ, and it just struck me as a great adventure, almost the adventure that I think uh, missionaries often have, where, where they feel called to go to another land. And I remember reading this book. I didn't, at that time, even think that God was calling me to be a priest. I didn't know that at that point. In fact, in eighth grade, we were asked to, um, to do an essay. You're going you're gonna to know my whole history of grade school, so I apologize for this. Uh, but it's to get you to think a little bit about your own early roots. Uh, we were asked to do an essay on what we're going to be when we grow up. And for the life of me, I didn't know what to do, and so I... I wrote an essay on being the captain of a ship. And at that point, I could barely swim. So uh, I remember I was confused. It wasn't until 10th grade. And in 10th grade, I went to a Catholic high school. My three older sisters uh, didn't go. My brother Georgie, uh, we didn't have special schools for, for people with, uh, with disabilities at that time, not in the coal regions that I came from. I came from a little coal town in the northeast part of Pennsylvania, a beautiful place uh, to, uh, to grow up. Everybody knew each other. What's that bar, you know, from, uh, what's that? Cheers. So it's, it's kind of had that sense that people knew each other. It was a wonderful place for, for a family to grow up, but it was a very... Uh, poor area because coal was, was in its prominence, I guess, in the 20s and 30s and 40s. And by the 50s and 60s, 
it had, uh, people were starting to move out. People were moving everywhere. But a great place to grow up. A great place to grow up. And I remember uh, wanting to go to Catholic high school. And I did. And uh, it was in eighth, excuse me, in, in uh, sophomore year. I began to go to the chapel there during study hall. I'm not sure I was the only one. I think others probably did too. I didn't pay much attention, but I felt that closeness to God. And it was during that time we were taking SAT tests to, to, to declare where you're going to go to college and what marks. And I thought, I, I'm not sure um, I'm meant for a, a career. Um, I was, I was on the debating team and, and um, thought, well, maybe I'm supposed to be a lawyer. And, and then I, was, uh, I, I played basketball, but I knew I wasn't supposed to be in the NBA. Um, but I felt that call. And what influenced my call very much, and we get back to family, uh, was the relationship that I had, thanks to my parents, with my brother Georgie. My brother George was born with Down syndrome. Now you have to understand in 1941 when he was born, he was not diagnosed as having Down syndrome until he was, I think, almost two years old. And no, I guess at that time it was, there, there was very little, now we have infant stimulation programs and so many different things. At that time, you didn't have that. So the family pretty much took care of him. I went to a little school, it was called the, it was in the, our parish was Slovak background, so I went to that school for my first three years until it closed because we had so few students, people were moving out, as I said. Uh, Georgie went until he was in seventh grade, but then once the school closed and I went to another school, he didn't go beyond that for, for school. So I can remember in eighth grade and beyond, coming home with my buddies, and we thought, well, we'll teach Georgie the times tables, and whatever we were learning, we would teach. Well, it built a, a, a great bond. I remember going to fr Monday, Friday night football games, and my, my, dad, my mom would always say, uh, now don't forget, take Georgie with you. And my brother George became part of the fabric of not just me, but all my buddies. It wasn't that, that there weren't people occasionally who, who might tease and mock. You know how people can be. They can be a little cruel with, with someone who, uh, who doesn't have all the abilities that they have. But in general, it was a wonderful experience. And I think it was probably that that gave me a sense of, uh, of being for the underdog. Even when I'm watching a, a basketball game on TV, if I don't have an allegiance, I'm not going to get into who I'm following you as far as allegiance, but if I have an allegiance, I'm, I'm for that team. There's no, no doubt in my mind. But if I'm just watching a game and I don't have an allegiance, I was, I was watching the Ohio State, uh, Michigan State, the last minute and a half that occurred today. And as my mother would say, I'd say, there's a minute and a half to go. She says, I know what that means, 15 minutes for dinner, you know. Uh, I instinctively was for Ohio State because they have had the hardest team. So there's something about being for the underdog. And all of that came together uh, to have the Lord reveal to me that he was calling me to become a priest. 
Um, I entered the seminary. I, re I entered actually after my junior year in high school at that time in the 60s. It was quite common for uh, young men to go into the seminary in, in high school actually. So I waited until after my junior year um, and I remember saying to a, a priest who I knew, um, I said, oh, Father, by the way, I'm going away to become a priest. I went to St. Charles in Philadelphia, and he said, no, you're not. I said, well, I think I am. I was, I was accepted at St. Charles Seminary in Philadelphia. No, he said, you're going away to see if God wants you to become a priest. And I never forgot that. In fact, every time I interview a seminarian for the archdiocese, I always tell them that story. It takes the pressure off. I said, listen, you're not going away to become a priest. You're going away to uncover what God's plan is. And the desire for the priesthood will either get stronger and stronger, or it will get weaker and weaker. And I've never met anybody who entered the seminary who, who left, maybe. Some of my friends that I still have contact with never became priests, who don't say what a blessing it was for them to experience that formation. So it's a, it's, there's kind of a mystery. I guess when a, when a couple falls in love with each other and feels the call to a pledge that is permanent, they must feel that mystery. That somehow in God's plan, this was meant to be. And that's the sense of vocation that I would say. Now, someone gave a talk. Actually, I, I want to show you this. I'll show you this other thing, too. Since I brought it, I may as well show it. Um, this was my mom's prayer book. Now, this is called Mary, My Hope. And um, we used to have missions at our parish where you'd, you'd go, and I think one, one week or so, the mission was for the men, and the other week it was for the women, and then somewhere in there it was for the kids. I forget which one. I went to some of them. And in the back of church, really inexpensively, you could buy prayer books. And I bought this prayer book for my mother. Um, it's, you can't see it from there. Can you see how worn it is? I, it's not from me praying it. That was from my mom. Now, I, I found this prayer book. Uh, when in 1989, uh, our, our mother died, and my brother Georgie, with Down syndrome, who was still living with my mom, my dad had died 12 years before that, that he was going to come and live with me in a rectory. I became his legal guardian. So we had to clean out the house. And there was this book, and then I have it in here. stuck to the mirror was this prayer card which um, is well worn and it must have been my mother taking it off each day and praying and it's called a prayer for the mother of a priest and I thought wow my mom never said anything or my dad about this is what we want you to do or be when you grow up. But there was a prayer going on. And I thought to myself, here I thought I should get credit for anything I did. And there was my mother, and my father was not, um, didn't show his faith 
as, as easily as my mom did. She was quiet in her faith, but, but he was, a, he was a, a strong family person. And I saw it with the way in which he treated my brother Georgie especially. Me too, but, but my brother Georgie, he took great time. My, my dad was a minor and he, uh, he retired because he had emphysema or black lung. And so he retired, he was only mid fifties. I'm just thinking to myself, uh, that was 15 years. My dad was pretty young when he retired, but the good news is in the summer, he and my brother Georgie and I would be able to go fishing. And it was a great time up in the Poconos. We had a little very simple rustic cabin that we would go to. And there was a great family connection. I'm, I'm spending time on the family because I'm hoping that, that you might reclaim a little bit what influence your family had. And as I said to you, at age 70, I'm giving a talk that at age 40, I would not have been able to give. As I get older, I'm appreciating it more. So I entered the seminary and this uh, little slip of paper here came from a holy hour that I did in uh, November of 2010 at Gethsemane. And I've held on to it, it's six years old. Uh, it was right after I was elected, thank you by the way, Lisa, for mentioning my, my service uh, to the Bishop's Conference for the United States. It was just after I was elected Vice President. And I went on retreat as I do each year at Thanksgiving. I go Thanksgiving Day and I stay until Saturday at Gethsemane. It's a wonderful, wonderful, not good turkey by the way, but it's a, but it's a wonderful presence. And so I wrote this and I won't tell you all the things because I was giving myself advice that I thought God was telling me on how to serve as a good humble leader. But I wrote two things on this side that I wanted to mention to you. The first, I wrote adventure. Because in, I think in really robust vocations, there is that spirit of adventure, of what's next. This is one reason why if somebody says to me, we'd like you to give a talk, I always say yes if I'm free because it, there's an adventure to it. I would otherwise not meet you all and not have this experience. So I hope young people today have that... Um, Oh, that spirit of a pioneer, that spirit of wanting to do some new things, wanting to experience something new. Guess where I'm going next Monday? I'm not giving any money if you, if you guess. <laughs> I'm going to Vietnam. Now, I'm going to Vietnam. I, wanted, I was, was hoping to do that before I, uh, I, I finished as the president of the Bishop's Conference because of the work being done with all of the priests uh, and, and lay people who are Vietnamese in the United States and their homeland as there's still, there's still oppression. I won't call it persecution, but there's still oppression. Uh, but, there, but the church is getting a little more freedom. And so um, the, uh, uh, this year, the Catholic University of Vietnam was just opened in what, what civilly is called uh, Ho Chi Minh City. And and liturgically is called the, the Archdiocese of Saigon. So I'll have a chance to interact with the bishops who are there and with other faithful, and guess what? It's their new year, it's the Tet New Year, so I'll, have, I'll, be, I'll come home uh, with a real uh, appreciation for, for Vietnamese food. Well, 
those adventures, the last three years, I had a chance um, uh, to go to Haiti, right in the fifth anniversary of the earthquake, to go to Ukraine, right in the midst of all of the tension that was going on, to go to the Philippines, right at the end, uh, literally two months after the typhoon hit there. So there's, there's, um, that appeals to me. And I would have to say that if I were to talk about what is the adventure, it's the St. Dominic book. I read it in seventh grade, and I still have, am un unpacking it. In fact, every once in a while, it's an, it's a, a, an easy read, you know. It's 183 pages, but it's big print. And it's very easy, and I reminisce about, gee, I wonder what it was like in seventh grade that I read this. But it was the spirit of adventure. And there's a second part, and perhaps in someone's job, I worry when somebody says, oh, I can't wait to get to retirement, that they don't like what they're doing. I, I think, wow, wow, how sad that is. I, I, I mean, if, if, I'd rather have you tell your, the truth. If you don't like it, then don't pretend you do. But I thought, how sad that is, that someone can go through life and not feel that sense of adventure in serving. And so the, the, the life of a priest for me over these last, uh, what will be this March 19th, will be 45 years. Over these last 45 years has been a real spirit of adventure. Uh, I was a pastor in two different churches. I just went back last Saturday. I had a wedding of a, of a young woman, a, a lovely couple from uh, St. Mary's Parish in Catasauqua that was, uh, she was born two years after I became pastor there. Talk about feeling old. <laughs> but it was a wonderful thing to be with the family and to officiate at their wedding. Um, I was director of, of Catholic Charities or involved in Catholic Charities work for about two dozen years. And that was a great adventure because you're always doing something different with children who fostered families or with families coming for, for uh, uh, financial help or, or maybe for, for marital difficulties. So there, were, there was always a great adventure. But the second part that I wrote six years ago was this notion of having a good fit being content, there's a certain sense of being at peace with your life. Um, resting in the peace of Christ. Feeling that, well, God's led me on a good path. I'm, I'm not perfect at what I'm doing. I don't always have the answers for everything. But I love what I'm doing. And I love that presence. And so that combination of adventure and contentment. I think in Teresa of Avila calls it contento, which I translate contentment, I guess that's close enough. Um, I'll say one other thing and then I'll finish and if there's any questions. How might, what do I have, another five, two minutes? 10 minutes I have? Wow. <laughs> All right, we can, <laughs> that's adventure, right? Um, when I went through the seminary, I, I, I'm going to move away from now my family to just one other thing. When I went through the seminary, I, I worked 
an awful lot with other seminarians. And when I was first ordained, I understood a little bit what it means for a priest to come into a parish and to serve, where I was a, a teacher in a high school for a time to, to teach. But it wasn't until uh, a couple of things happened around 1977, so this would be 40 years ago, that I began to find that it is important for a priest to work in a healthy way with other lay leaders. I was the director at that time of what was called the Social Action Bureau, part of my work with Catholic Charities. And I also, a little after that, made a Corsillo weekend. I was asked to make a Corsillo weekend in 1971. I went in 1980. Talk about dragging me along, right? Uh, but I love the people who were part of the Corsia. It was a big active movement of lay people at the time. What do you have? I, who are the shirts that you're wearing? What do they say? The red shirts. Christ Renews, yeah. So like you have Christ Renews. Well, maybe some of you know that the Corsio had that spirit in the 1970s of, of being renewed in our faith and having a, a, a strong, I, I'd say, um, even emotional connection, not just a heady connection with my faith. And uh, it was so inspiring for me to come to know uh, lay people with whom I would work somewhat as a peer. And that, uh, I think, expanded my understanding of what it means uh, to uh, serve in the church, to also be what we might call a co-worker. And finally, I became a bishop. In 1994, someone told me a rumor that I was going to become a bishop. 1994. I'm glad I didn't listen to it because it wasn't until 1999 that I became one. I thought, my gosh, I'm glad I didn't hold my breath. And I, I thought they were foolish. Well, I don't know how, you, how this happens where you become a bishop, but... Uh, I never worked in a chancery or anything like that, so I wasn't thinking I would be a, a, a bishop. Um, and I had my brother Georgie and I were living together, so I had a certain obligation with, with uh, my brother to, uh, for us to care for one another, and I thought that's, that's, a, that's a full enough plate, I would imagine. So I get a call. I came home. I was at Notre Dame of Bethlehem at that time as the pastor for, for three years. And I get a call, and the secretary, a wonderful woman, she said to me, somebody called you from Washington with an accent. And I said, well, I was in Catholic Charities work. It was probably somebody, maybe an immigrant or a, a refugee family that sometimes they would call for a job reference. And I said, well, I'll give them a call back. So I called back, and the person answered, and she says, oh, uh, the uh, apostolic nuncio wants to talk to you. What's this about? So uh, I said, yes, your excellency. He says, is this Joseph Kurtz? Yes, yes. Uh, he says, well, our Holy Father has appointed you to be bishop of Canoxville. <laughs> I said, where? Well, it, uh, Canoxville is Knoxville and it's in Tennessee. I had never been to Knoxville, and I had never been to Tennessee. I had been on the Blue Ridge Parkway, and I had seen a sign for Tennessee. And I thought, well, that's enough preparation, I guess. So um, I said, yes. I, I said, uh, 
you know, the Lord is, is going to provide. So it was, a, it was a bit of an adjustment with getting everything ready for my brother Georgie to, for us both to move down to Tennessee. This was in 1999, so just 17 years ago. And uh, I think I was so busy trying to figure out what a bishop is supposed to do. It's one thing to look at a bishop and, and to serve with him and all. It's another thing to be a bishop. It's a different, uh, you have to have a different perspective. And I didn't really spend much time in my life looking at what that is. But um, I must say that people are people. So people say, was it a big transition to go from Pennsylvania where you lived your whole life to Tennessee? I was so busy trying to figure out what a bishop does, I barely noticed that we moved, to be honest with you. And most of the people from Tennessee, as the population of Catholics grew, many of them were from Ohio or Michigan or whatever, so they were not uh, necessarily uh, a native of Tennessee. A wonderful eight years experience. My brother Georgie, um, I still have another minute. My brother Georgie, um, developed as often people with Down syndrome do, he developed a symptoms of uh, Alzheimer's. It wasn't until he turned really 59, I guess. When, I, when we were still at Notre Dame, some of the kids from the school would come into the rectory and say, oh, George, he's, George, he's out in the parking lot and he's, he's confused. He doesn't know where he is. So as I look back on it, there were some elements of it. But, but for, the, for my first year in Knoxville, as his health began to deteriorate, it was, it was really a challenge, I have to admit that. I, I, can, I can sympathize with families where there's uh, an obligation. I mean, I could literally remember having to, um, uh, being at a parish for confirmation, and my brother Georgie having to go to the bathroom, maybe I shouldn't say this in a church, but, uh, there I was literally five minutes before the confirmation was going to start trying to straighten everything out, etc. It, it became very difficult, and um, it wasn't until April of 2001 that... Um, excuse me. I'm, I, I did turn that off. Yeah, it was, it was buzzing there. Um, that uh, the Sisters of Mercy had have a nursing home uh, in Knoxville and, and they accepted Georgie there. And for his, his last nine months of life, uh, I visited him each day in the nursing home. It was difficult for me because I thought, well now, is that a good thing to do or not? But it was actually freeing because I was able to spend time with Georgie, whereas before it was always catch up, helping him with hygienic things and stuff like that. So. Uh, he died, well, actually, today's the 15th. In another 12 days, it will be 15 years that Georgie died. And um, there's not, excuse me. Uh, I, I uh, have great memories of uh, my brother George. So, uh, that gives you a little bit of a, of a background into uh, the life of one priest, one, one bishop. Um, family rootedness has been very, very strong. And so um, I would encourage you in looking at your own vocation to consider uh, that movement that's been in my life, both the adventure 
of, of seeking new things and, and embracing them, but also the sense of wanting contentment, to be able to rest in the Lord. It's part of the reason I go to Gethsemane once a month, is to be able to also understand the right pace and rhythm of our life so that uh, we can be good for others by taking care of ourselves. Um, so that's my story. Thank you. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you. Thank you so much, Archbishop. That was really um, a very warm talk, and I mean that in the <laughs> in the truest way. Of just, I just appreciate the personalness of your story, Thank and you. I, I think, uh, you know, the little book that you were given by your sister to have that all these years later. I think for those of us, you know, we're such a family parish here to just know that small things, this time you spend with mm -hmm. your children, the small books that you may give, something that you spend time around your faith. Uh, look at the impact that had right. and that is here, you know, so I think that's really beautiful. So thank you for, for sharing that with us. As you know, if you've been to CEO events uh, in before, we like to give you a challenge to, uh, to kind of go away with. So um, our challenge for this month or tonight is that we challenge you to see Jesus in your life and answer yes to his call. You know, I think we heard how Archbishop said yes and what I loved about his talk is, you know, I think about saying yes to the Lord and, and what that means. And sometimes I feel kind of heavy about that, like I get scared. I don't know what he's going to ask me to do. And, oh, my gosh, I have to say yes. But I love the adventure. Like, maybe we can say yes to the Lord with that sense of adventure and that sense of excitement of what's going to come and what, what will that bring for us. So that's the challenge for you all tonight, if, if uh, we could do that. And, and, you know, can we live our lives in a way that says, here I am, Lord, I come to do your will with that sense of adventure and contentment. So thank you. So in closing, we'd like to thank you for being here with us, and we want you to continue uh, your prayers for CEO, because that really helps us to be able to further this mission. We do like to let you know of our upcoming uh, talk, which on the 26th of February, we'll have Ann Hurst. She will talk about the power of prayer and how she got to a place of strength, hope, and complete faith as she faced a serious health issue. So I hope that you'll all be able to join us for that evening. Thank you all for joining in. Again, we are uh, like to thank Archbishop Kurtz again for the beautiful talks. Another round of applause for Archbishop. Thank you. And we hope to see you all on the 26th. Please go to the hospitality room. Enjoy. Uh, there's folks wearing red shirts. So one way you can answer yes to God's call is to perhaps uh, partake in a Christ for News' parish retreat. We have some coming up and they'd love to talk to you about that. So look forward to socializing with you over at the Hospitality Center and thank you for your time.